Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Hello, Nancy. Today we have such a special guest. We are welcoming Mr. Tom Farley, who began with a career in finance and banking and through life circumstances, shifted his focus and passion to substance abuse as a motivational speaker of prevention and recovery, and also uh, currently at present is the Wisconsin Community Relations Coordinator for Rosecrans Health Network. Uh, As well, Tom is the brother of the late uh, actor-comedian Chris Farley, who we know so tragically lost his life uh, very young, 30s, right, Tom? Early 30s? 33, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. wow. Uh, well, welcome. We have so much, you know, th- I gave a little brief introduction of so much that can be said about you. You're just an amazing guy. And I'm so yeah. excited to share all of your your message, your messages, your, you know, words wisdom. of wisdom, words yeah. of wisdom with our Behind Our Door family. So thank you for coming. Welcome. welcome. Um, so great to be here. Um, yeah, no, this is, uh, you know, yeah, I did start off with a whole different kind of career working in Marketing, I love the creativity that marketing uh, uh, brought, but uh, I was in financial services, so that took it all away. It was just, oh, uh, see, I forgot the marketing, and you know that's yeah. a big that's a big you know important part. I love that, but geez, I just felt I was kind of I needed more kind of creativity, especially when like I'm the oldest of you know we have an older sister, Barb, but then it was just four boys and. I just was, you had all those expectations and like, you know, you're going to go into business, you're going to do this and you're going to go to this great school and, um, and be, you know, just, you know, captain of industry. And, uh, and I said, okay. And then I looked behind me and Chris and my other two brothers, you know, just decided like, no, we're going to go into acting. I'm like, I, I didn't even know that was an option. <laughs> like, what is, like, what it's the that, that's the older brother syndrome. You get, you I'm in the older. middle. I'm in the yeah. middle. So it's not like I'm saying I can relate, but I know the older sibling, you know, that's how it goes. They you must get, have you all, get the strictest yeah. parents out of the parents. They must have all looked at me and said, well, that look doesn't look fun. So <laughs> yeah, I ran the other way. Yeah, I'm glad that I found a way to to come back around and and uh you know it took me a while as a journey, but um uh love kind of where I am now and and I'm still I'm you know not just kind of in the kind of creative and motivated motivational speak, you know, kind of thing. I wrote a book and so I did all that stuff, but I, I do have you know the other side of my brain I need to I you know I, I there is the responsibility of being the only Farley brother that that did study. So I had to carry that. Um, and now I'm working on the side of the industry that, you know, is, you know, it, you know, it's, I'm working. Yeah. I, I traded, you know, wall street, you know, financiers to, to, uh, to doctors and therapists. I'm like, I, I don't know if that's, uh, <laughs> which yeah. ones, which I don't know ones, either. Which but, one's better? Which one's I worse? think I kind of like being around that kind of smart people. I, I, I thrive on that as long as I'm allowed to be creative. So, um, yeah. Well, that's good. We're glad you found your niche. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, um, aside from your career, um, a little bit of your background and, um, I guess, struggling with addiction yourself. And, yeah. you know, 
you know, how old were you when that started? And give us kind of an insight into your past. Yeah, you know, I like to say, you know, when I do talks and talk to people, I, you know, one of the first things I, I talk about is, is just, you know, the family, you know, growing up in this family where we literally checked three boxes. We had a, um, what I could, you know, as far as I could tell, a uh, pretty long uh, family history of uh, uh, alcohol abuse. Uh, we were Irish and, and and we live in Wisconsin. So, right, we can't blame it on being Irish. <laughs> uh, well, this is part of the thing. You know, the thing is, what drinking in any one of those three things was very normative. It's what you did. It was part of your identity. If you were Farley, you drank. Yeah. If you're Irish, you drank. If you live in Wisconsin, yeah, you definitely drank. And we, one of those boxes would have been enough. We checked all three. So, you know, coming out of the box, you know, it was, we had to, we had to be, you know, aware of that. And of course we weren't, as I said, because it was all normative. You know, mm -hmm. even when I went out east to college, you know, I, you know, I was in a college atmosphere. It's like, oh, this is what we do in college. It's like, well, maybe not at this Maybe maybe at UW Madison, but you know, not out here on these. Uh, I I probably stuck out, but I didn't know. But um, so it was, it, you know. But again, we it was interesting, and like we kind of thought that was normal. And the first person that really kind of showed some signs of maybe this was, you know, not what we should be doing was Chris, and. We didn't know at the time, but, you know, back then we just thought Chris's, you know, issues were, A, there were, had nothing to do with us. It's Chris's problem. And B, we thought that they were all kind of behavior related as we did. Oh, back. yes. And you also yeah. think it's growing pains. Like when mm -hmm. someone's younger, yeah. it's funny. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, the younger, you know, when you're at cert a certain age, you're just you know, in with the groups that drink too much and go overboard and it's funny. Yeah. And then after a while, as the ages go on and you get older. It's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we definitely saw that. So, but so when you, it's interesting. And I, I saw this in later parts of my, in my life when I was trying to, you know, to kind of, kind of really focus on myself, but, I, you know, like for instance, like the first time when I like, maybe I shouldn't be drinking and I would go into a, to an AA meeting, and I could always point to somebody across the room and say, "Well, that person drinks more than I do. I don't. I don't. I don't believe. I don't belong here." We did. Wait, the same can thing. we can we back up a minute? So when you say you went to an AA meeting, like when was your your revelation of? I think I'm going to go to an AA meeting. I mean, how old were you? And um, I think it was probably you know right when I started having you know my first kid. I'm like you know uh, you oh. know it wasn't. You know, it was, it, I'm like, this is, uh, thinking it's not working. Yeah. I need, I need some help. And yeah. how old were you? I was probably my, probably late, probably early thirties. Okay. You know, but I, let, let, let's just, let, let me just, you know, emphasize that. Yeah. I walked in quickly walked out though, mm -hmm. you know, so it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't stick around too long because I, I, I realized later on, it was just like, you know, the way I reacted was just like my family did with Chris. We were, we would look at Chris and we'd say, well, we're not that bad. Right. So I guess we're okay, which we weren't. But we, as long as there's somebody else that really is that much worse, if, if drinking is your only barometer, 
you, it's, it's so easy to point to that person and say, well, I, 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 you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not at rock bottom, rock bottom yet. And also we, you know, the sad thing was, is that because we looked at it that way, um, we weren't really, we didn't want to address Chris's problems because I think deep down we were a little hesitant because we didn't want our stuff to get it, you know, it has nothing to do with us. You know, well, right. did. we didn't want to kind of, we were protective of our own, you know, yeah. issues. so we just kind of let Chris, you know, we tried to help as much as we could and we just kept doing the same thing. And then I, you know, here and there, um, would go into, to, uh, an AA meeting and thinking that it's all has to do with my drinking and I, you know, I can always find somebody who drinks more. Um, and so I did that, but I also knew I shouldn't be drinking. And so I, I had some really interesting times, you know, right after, after Chris died, I'm like, okay, wow. Um, and my father died too. Uh, oh, gosh. And, oh, wow. Right. You know, a year later, um, and you know, he's been drinking his whole life and so very unhealthy because of it. So, and, but he wasn't, you know, uh, you know, raging alcohol. He just was, you could see that, you know, he was managing, you know, a lot of his trauma with drink as, as we all did. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I would have stretches of sobriety, like five years at a time. Wow. I had little kids, you know, I, you know, I had all these distractions. I had a family and I was trying to kind of, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't that hard not to drink. And yet I still, was experiencing all these, you know, uh, train wrecks, as they like to call them, you know, job loss, you know, ultimately divorce and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, but I'm sober. Um, I, I, I didn't get it. And, you know, and, 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 and plus, and so, and I would be so, I would be sober for like five years that, you know, that was, that's kind of my, you know, that's as, as, as long as I could hold on. But then the way I think, you know, I would, you know, St. Patty's Day would come up and my mind would tell me, like, you've been sober for five years. You've got this. You can have one Guinness. Right. And I'd like, yeah, I, I probably can. And it, next thing I know, I'm back on varsity. You know, I'm back, I'm back on the, you know, starting five. You know, like what happened? And a longer stretch of drinking again. And then I got, you know, then I would have another stretch of sobriety because I just was got tired of all the and and can I ask you how during during your marriage how it affected your relationship? Like it has to be confusing for your wife at the time to see you sober for so long and then go down this rabbit hole and think, "Oh my God, what do I do now?" Yeah, but but we couldn't we didn't we couldn't figure it out. You know, again, I I and a lot of times I was I was sober because I didn't want I had little kids. I didn't want my kids to grow up. In the, yeah. in the atmosphere that I grew up in, you know, where drinking was everywhere. I'm like, I wasn't going to do that. And my kids are very thankful today. They're all in their thirties, you know, early thirties, late twenties. And they're like, yeah, I, I never saw you drink growing up, you know? Um, and so that, that, you know, like maybe that helped, I don't know, but, uh, but you know, as far as it, it really had nothing to do with my drinking, it wasn't my drinking, you know, I didn't know it at the time. You know, I could be sober and still be. Man, I'll, I'll tell you what I what I found out um, is that, well, 
this last time, about five years ago, you know, I got tired again. I was, you know, I'm, I'm getting too old for this. Stuff. And I was smart enough to know that I was kind of managing, you know, this, you know, drinking in just crazy ways. I would, I would be at a, a out socially and say, if I leave right now, I can make it home, you know, which is already too late. Um, you know, but, but, but again, if I, if I leave right now, yeah, I can make it home, but I, I got to take all these back roads and I would like plot out all this, you know, and I was smart enough to know that that wasn't, that was crazy. And then I would get home and say, well, now I'm safely home, you know, and it's still early. So then that started a whole, yeah. whole other, you know, uh, level of drinking for me. Um, and so I got tired again and I'm like, all right, I, I got to stop this. And I just did the same thing I did the last couple of times. I just stopped drinking. And luckily this one time, this friend of mine that I had done some work with that was had a clinic in town and in Madison that I actually now work for, you know, work with and work for. She called me up and she said, uh, just connecting. How are you doing? And I said, I, you know, I proudly tell her, it's like, I mean, I drank in four months, you know, expecting a lot more applause. I don't know. Um, and she's like, okay, that's great. Um, we should get coffee. And I said, I'd love to get coffee. And she said, all right, well, uh, why don't you meet me Saturday this Saturday morning at nine o'clock in the basement of the Presbyterian Church? I'm like, okay, I know this is gone. But it was that one person that I know she knew she had helped so many people. She trust I trusted her. She trusted me. She accepted me. I'm like, I had to say, say yes. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I went in with her to some meetings, and uh, I started to. Th- think not that person drinks more than I do. I started to listen to people and go, I think that way. I behave that way. I have, I've had relationships that have, you know, I've, you know, imploded that way. I started thinking I, it, it, it no longer was about drinking. It was about how I thought and how I process stuff. It was my, my mental, you know, health. And, and I, and I, quickly realized that like when I started to work on that stuff and saw, you know, that I was feeling different, feeling better about myself. I'm like, okay, I like this, but if I'm going to continue this, the only way I can do this was, is not to ever drink again. And that, you know, that's, so you, that's, so you, you're saying that when this, this step came along, that your mental health, the clarity of what was going on with your mental health really oh, brought right. you to the yeah. table to, to stick to it. That's really interesting. I mean, people will say with addiction, is is there always, you know, what is there a mental health component? You know, we talk about dual diagnosis. Yeah. And it's just always a given. There's got to, there's something, unless it's from birth, fetal alcohol syndrome, it's, it's, uh, there's something yeah. there. And I think that your, te- your words are interesting that that, that, clarity brought you to more commitment before um when you were saying that you were sober for five years sober for five years what what help if any or support did you get during those times did you just decide i'm done i'm going to stop yeah go to maybe a few aa meetings did you have any other programming or no nothing it was because i thought it was just about drinking you know and Mm -hmm. i was able to you know i I was very happy that I was showing my kids what I, you know, what I didn't see growing up. This is a father that doesn't drink. And I thought I was very 
you know, I, I, that's what I wanted my kids to see, and they saw it, and I thought that was all there, that that was enough. I, clearly, it wasn't, but that's what what kept that was what motivated me. Um, yeah. And um, I thought with all of that, you know, that uh, I would also, you know, stop. I was, you know, feel better about myself. Stop, you know, creating strained relationships. Uh, you know, keep, keeping a job for more than two years. You know, stuff like that. That didn't happen. You know, that what that didn't come along with all this. You know, and um, you know, I, I realized, you know, looking back now, um, is that what I was doing is I was. I was putting out this person that I thought everyone wanted to see going back to that, you know, oldest son scenario. Like I thought I, this is who I needed to be or because I went to this school and grew up this way and all my other friends have these great jobs and this great house. I'm like, well, I, I should have that too, but you know, I and I needed to be this person. So I was putting this out and expecting these things, not doing any of the work for it. But I just, you know, thought that that's what I, I needed to do. But th in order to be that person that I thought the world wanted to see, I, it, I needed everyone else around me to do certain things. For me to be that person, I needed my kids to, be, you know, be this way. I needed, you know, to live in this neighborhood i needed to have this job i needed my boss to give me this job i needed my wife to be this you know all these things so creating all these things that i had no control over whatsoever and what i was didn't know at the time in putting all this effort you know trying to kind of control and manipulate everything around me so i could be this person uh, two things I noticed is that I I pushed people away, uh, you know I, I I didn't get the results I wanted, and I also noticed that that person that I was so trying so hard to put out there didn't feel right. It, it wasn't me. I and I and I knew that I think deep down, but I thought I didn't have a choice in that matter. So the only way for me to really kind of deal with that sort of life was the only way I knew how to manage that that emotion or that 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 trauma was was to drink. I didn't know any other that's how I was taught. So that's what I did. You know, as uncomfortable as I was, I I um I put on the show, I put on this act. And the only way I was gonna do this act was, you know. You know, just, it's such yeah. a it's such a gift that you're that you're describing this scenario because what you're describing is so many people. You know, this is like the pressures of life, the excuses of drinking. That's how I can do this. The expectations. And then, you know, it's just such a it's such a story of so many that I mean, I'm just thinking of the person listening to this, the people yeah. that what a help. I mean, you know, you're not giving this extraordinary, wildly, you know, out of control situation, even though it was obviously wildly out of control in your, you know, in, in many ways, but, but I think that's just so many people and um, you can have this vicious circle of, of, you know, unsatisfaction and, yeah. And, um, and, you know, you know all, that measure up. Happened, all that would have happened, it, you know, without Chris, um, I, all that would have happened, but if, you know, it, unfortunately, 
Chris was a reality. And so like when, when Chris and I, th- I went into schools, I wanted to like help people and tell this story. So I was going into schools telling somebody else's addiction story. And I think I was probably helping people, but it wasn't, you know, really me. And I was, so I, and, and not only that, but I became even more so somebody else. Uh, my full name, I love to say, wow. my full name at that time was Tom Farley, brother of Chris Farley, who died of a drug overdose. That was my full name. <laughs> and wow. wow. And did you, did, were you, did you start that soon after he passed away? Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. So you hadn't really started your recovery yet. No. Where, yeah. You just weren't even in that box yourself no. in your own head. Wow. And you'd never saw any similarities in the things that he was doing to compare to the things that you were doing at the time um not not then I do. or just I mean, not ready to face it like that yeah, was him probably. he had a problem yeah because you know i was yeah there was there was so many things you know that mask that, that you know there are so many things on externally like you know chris and i weren't the same you know certainly the same you know, from a, a economic standpoint or a, or a notoriety standpoint, we were on different levels. Uh, we were, um, you know, Chris was this, you know, crazy single guy. I had a, a wife, three kids, and a and a golden retriever. You know, that was they, they all looked, you know, like like different. You know, so I'm like, I was like, yeah, I'm not Chris, but yeah, now I look back, I'm like, oh my god, hundred percent. Like there was so much. Yeah. Um, especially the part about not being kind of, you know, not believing that, you know, that this authentic, real person, you know, I don't, I didn't believe that the world wanted to see that person. I didn't, because I was afraid that, 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 that A, that no one would like that person. And even more so, like, I wasn't sure I liked that person. Right. I didn't know who it was. So yeah or, or was, to or to be judged i mean it sounds like yeah. you were dealing with um some perfectionism that's yeah oh we've God. we've learned over doing this podcast yeah. many and many of times that you have to live up to this persona that you've put out into the world and you're trying to keep up with it all the time instead yeah. of just being your genuine self yeah yeah and, and um yeah, it, it's just that that uh, it was so so fear based and so um, you know uh, self doubt. Yeah, you know, those two things just crippled me. And it wasn't until <clears throat> I went into you know you know my first couple of meetings and I started listening and I and I heard the words rigorous honesty. And I'm like, Ooh. is that po- I can live? A- what? That's possible? I can like. That's just like if that's what you doing this, if that's all I get out of out of this is to live a life with rigorous honesty, sign me up because I knew that I was nothing close to that, living nothing close to that. Yeah, it's that's interesting terminology, probably yeah. for anybody as you grow into yourself, but that's uh that's a breakthrough, I'm sure. Oh God. And you know it's funny, I um and so just, li- you know, living that, you know, just being more honest about about relationships, myself, everything, just, just accepting who 
I am, the world is, all that kind of stuff. It just released so much from me. So so much fear, so much self-doubt. Um, but it also made me feel better. Like I like I never had was given, you know, this, you know, feeling ever. I was at a um last month I was speaking to recovery groups in uh Wisconsin prisons. Oh, I was wow. a few prisons. And uh, I can tell you about that story uh, later. But um, one of the inmates said uh, afterwards, that asked me a question. It's like, well, what do you do about the cravings? I'm like, like I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to leave here. And, you know, um, you know, I'm afraid of the cravings. And I said, interesting. I've never been asked that question. Never thought about it. But honestly, if I even want to, if I, the only way I can answer that is like, I don't crave because it's not about, it's how about how I feel. It's not about the liquor. I don't crave that anymore. As a matter of fact, like I know that on Friday night in Wisconsin, if I want fish, I know where I got to go. I got to go to a tavern. Yeah, you know, I got no choice there. Um, so I have told myself that it's not about that. Um, but I told this gentleman, I said, you know, it's so I don't crave that anymore. But what I do crave is the way I'm feeling. And wow. what, what sobriety has given me this, you know, out from under this shadow of fear, shadow of self-doubt, um, this this level of honesty with myself and other people. That's what I crave now. And so when I find myself in situations where that starts to chip away and I don't feel that way or it's those old kind of feelings, I, that's my barometer now. I'm like, OK, time to leave. I know I know what I got to do or call somebody or, you know, go to a meeting. Mm -hmm. I, I know exactly what I need to do. Do you, um, do you still go to meetings? Do you still? Oh, oh God. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I and I travel a lot. So one of my favorite things is, you know, going to a meeting and some new I always look for where's the where's the meeting? Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. I am. Um, I'm a social person, and I remember going to my first meeting this last time around. And one of the first things that, you know, I might came into my head was like, really, the rest of my life with these schmucks? Oh my God, this is gonna be, <laughs> gonna be brutal. And, you know, and then it wasn't too much after that, after a couple of kept going to meetings, I'm like, God, I hope so. I hope that this, you know, is the rest of my life in this recovery community because it 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 allows me to feel kind of what i'm supposed to feel like you know and and but i'm still a, so as i said a social person so i you know i i don't i don't live to spend the rest of my life in a recovery community that's just where i feel you know the most connected right. and so when i go out into the real world and don't feel that way i know what i got to do as i said you know um I, I was, uh, this was interesting. Before I took this job at Rosecrans, um, it was just when COVID started, I was working for the United Way in Wisconsin. Oh. Um, and it was the summer of 2020, that horrible summer that was just crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and we had sponsored um the YWCA put on a, a racial justice summit, three days, all these speakers, it was virtual. Uh, but our CEO said, we sponsored it. So we've got all these, you know, if you want to attend, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it was just like, you know, my AA meeting. It's like, you know, just show up 
and shut up and just listen and maybe you'll learn something. And I, I did and I went and it was very interesting. But the first day, the last speaker um, said, I'm going to send you home with some homework. I want you, I want you to go home and look at your life and, and come back tomorrow and, and, and identify where in your life do you feel deep belonging? And I know where yeah. where, where he was going. Great some, question. Yeah, there are some people in our communities that have never felt that ever. And he wanted us to get in touch with that. So I said, okay. So I went home. Like, where do I feel deep belonging? Is it my family? No. <laughs> nah. <laughs> We're Irish, you know, we, we fight. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, not so much in my family. Is it my um, uh uh, is is it my job? I, I I work for United Way. I love my community. I love nonprofit giving back. Nope. Even though I love everyone I work with, no, that wasn't it. Was it? Is it my you know alumni? You know I you know really connected to you know college I went to. Those are my best friends in the world. No, that's not it. Is it? Is it my faith? You know I'm Catholic. I'm like no, we've got some issues. So no, that's not it. Um, the only thing I could come up, you know, honestly, it was my recovery community where I feel deep belonging. And these aren't like my friends. These aren't my best people in the world. But but boy, when I walk into a meeting, I I I belong there, and I and I and I I feel I, I I'm welcome that way, and I I welcome and I respond and I welcome others too, whether the you know uh, first time or been there thirty years. It's like this is. This is that deep belonging that hopefully I find in other places in my life. But for right now, that, that's working. Yeah, and some people don't have never have that. So yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's a sense of, of of feeling safe. Like you feel safe there. You feel like you can let your guard down and just be you. Yeah, and, and, and that people get it. And that they get acceptance. it. Yeah, yeah, they get Not it. Judging. They get what you're saying. Yeah. They, they're they're in that boat. They get it. Right. Um, and that is, you know, no better feeling. So it's like when you, I think less is more, if you only have that place, that's, you know, that's a good place to be. So, so in, when you're, if there, you think of the people listening to this podcast, um, and of course there's so much talk in the news about Matthew Perry and all of this, it's such a topical, um, wake up call to some looking at, do I have a problem or does my sibling have a problem or my you know, best friend or loved one in whatever sense of the form. Um, what would you say is a good first step? First, if it's someone themselves, what would you say if somebody is listening to this thinking, you know yeah. what, I, I got to do something? What would you say? And and our it's, podcast is nationwide, yeah. even in other countries. Um, I, you know, I would say is is where I was and still am, if I'm honest. You know, I still, you know, have this level of this feeling of isolation mm -hmm. that has driven a lot of this. And um, in my recovery, I'm slowly coming out of that. Um, but that's where I was. And you can go to all the, yeah. I, so it's, it's, what's, what's really interesting is, is right after Chris died and I started going into schools and was telling stories and I'm like, Wow, you know what? Are, why am I? What am I doing here? You know, I was a marketing guy, so I had to figure this out. You know, like what's my uniqueness? And I knew I saw that like all the prevention programs at that time it was prevention for me was um, 
you know, because they're done in schools and delivered by professional teachers, they were all um, information-based, knowledge-based, you know, like here's a, here's a pamphlet on that and whatever. And I'm like, well, I, I, I can't add to that because I don't have that skill set, nor do I think we need more than that. So I looked and I wanted to connect. I wanted to make sure that I was heard. And so I looked at my all my brothers, you know, Chris and my brothers, Kevin and John, that all went through Second City in Chicago oh. and learned this improv. Mm-hmm. You know, and I studied it because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> uh, and learned it was it was it was developed by a woman, you know, that was dealing with at-risk inner city kids on the south side, you know, the old green green area. And yep. she developed these um these exercises and games that 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 it taught them how to communicate better and how mm-hmm. to create ensembles, how to create connection. I'm like, that's my tool. So I just went in teaching connection, you know, wow. through improv and fun. I had to use humor because that's, you know, I I was that was the card I was dealt. So <laughs> I I I did that. And then COVID comes along. What a blessing that was because all of a sudden the rest of the world uh suddenly felt what what isolation and disconnection felt, felt you know feels yeah. like yeah and a lot yeah so a lot right. of people felt that leveling of the playing field in that way yeah and there were people with better people in our in our communities and our in our schools and our families even that felt that isolation every day of their life the rest of the world felt it for 18 months and you know they freaked out you know we all did you know they you know, they got in fights in Walmart. Complaints. <laughs> As humans, we are hardwired for connection. So yeah. to, I guess it's to answer your question is, you know, to to somebody that 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 you know like doesn't like how they feel, and you know, a, a big part of that is because you're in deep you miss deep isolation, and you and we we talk about mental illness and substance abuse, a substance use disorder. Um, as diseases of isolation, which we know that we've talked about years. We don't talk enough about the flip side of that coin, which is we cannot heal in isolation. We That's demand it demands connection, you know, and so anyone like the, the quickest way out is to is is through connection and 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 get yourself out of isolation. Um, I, I think that's that's the first step. Yeah, and have to, we always talk about stigma. You know, you have to somehow find your people to connect to because yep. it's uh, there's stigma in uh, many times. Some families there is not stigma, but many communities and families there is stigma still on you know yeah, it's that it's your you know alcoholism. It's your problem uh, that you created and you know not looked at as a disease and how difficult. Yeah of a situation medically this even is. And so finding your people. So you would say to someone, find even just a first step, find an AA group. Is that what you're saying? Just look up and try and find someone who will get it. Yep, absolutely. And there's no cost. Aren't they usually, um, not that this is an advertisement for AA, but (laughs) you know, it's like a, you know, a lot of times it's self-supporting. I need a a therapist, but I can't afford to do it. It's like, just get out there. That's what I'm saying. It's like the therapists are great. That one-on-one, like finding out why you're doing, why you're, you're feeling this way or drinking or drinking or taking, you know, the uncovering those, those traumas and and things, those are very important, but they're not healing. Knowing is not healing. 
the healing part comes in the connection part and that's where you that's where you start to really heal and become a a person again it's not by sitting in a, you know in a doctor's office you know yeah. that's just giving you the knowledge to go out now i get to be a human and the only way to be a human is to connect and so you know that's what it's all about yeah and yeah. and was your family supportive when you decided to really become sober and admit no. to having a real addiction problem um i you know i've always been like it's funny you know a lot, I, I think um my mom was the first one to be get sober in our family she's been sober for over 30 years you know oh, wow. and she what's interesting for her and she she got sober because she saw her family drinking was killing killing our family you know not just chris but my father and just it was just all of us you know um and so she said i i can't go down this road too i gotta save myself so she was the first one to be sober and she went to some meetings first she used to talk about it and she said yeah it's really not it, she was a mom mm -hmm. so she found her the most help for her as a mom trying to save her family and herself and you know was through Al-Anon so she got the best help through through Al-Anon understanding what was going on here but it, for her you know uh, it's it, it's not about me it's it's about the rest of the family so and wait, excuse me for cutting in but for the listeners am i correct that Al-Anon is for the support of the family yeah it's for a family member not to go discuss your own uh right. your own um issues, issues with this it's to get support yeah i've got a I, yeah, yeah huge another huge accolades always to that group i mean people yeah. i know all of the country get so much out of that as well um and I think my brothers, my sister never had a real issue with, you know, she was, you know, she never had that, you know, the the problem. I mean, all the two brothers, um, I know they don't drink now. I don't, but I don't think they're in recovery. Like, I, I mean, I, as I said, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't preach to them, but I'm just glad it's better if we all don't drink. Right. <laughs> balanced, right. You know? Yeah. So but I'm, I'm, I'm guess my I guess my question is when you're around family gatherings do do you talk about it or do you yeah, just yeah. you know it's wonderful I talk to my mom all the time now oh, I love about that. um about I guess that's part of another reward of my recovery is that I get that's a gift I've given her you know mm -hmm. the look on her face oh yeah you know seeing me healthy i'm just like oh my god i was at this event last night i know what i would have done in the past and she's i, I was and, and and just being able to you know tell her about my mindset at this more recent event that i you know got through without drinking and you know just the way i talk about it um you know the, just the, the look on her face was like oh you know this is all i wanted yeah, yeah. i'm sure i'm sure it changed her whole life yeah. for the better yeah I'm sure oh, she's I mean, very proud. Yeah. And and you've just done such really important work on yourself that is that is helping others. I mean, I love that you're speaking about all this because it will it touches so many of those people walking around thinking, oh, I don't know if I have a problem or not, or I don't I don't know what to do. This just puts it in perspective. Boy, I, 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 you know, I didn't. I, I, my story and or my family inter intersects with all of this in so many different levels and angles. I'm like, wow, 
you know, I could pretty much talk about any subject, you know, in this universe and they have a personal story. It's like, oh yeah. my gosh. Like, like one of the, one of the recent things that I'm, uh, kind of, I just kind of never dealt with before was, you know, uh, having, you know, a brother with such severe addiction, you know, and, and the resentment that I had, I'm like, I'm doing all the right things. And this guy's, you know, messing up, but he's getting all the attention, attention. you know, all the stuff. And, and how many families go through that? Oh, and yeah. you come to grips with that. I'm like, look, that's not, uh, you know, so. Yeah. I was, I, I was just going to ask you that if you felt like at times you were living in his shadow, like you're, you're out there working a nine to five job and raising kids and, and, you know, fitting this typical normalized image, so to speak. And, you know, like, is it fair? Did you have resentment? Did you... No, the, the did thing you... for me, the thing for me was with Chris that, that it, you know, I was a, I was two years older, so I was a senior and he's a sophomore. Okay. So just having a, a sophomore Chris Farley in the building, it was, is frightening, you know. <laughs> um, I can so I was just doing all this, you know, to, 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 to be perfect because I was fearful of not, you know, yeah, I'm making a mistake. And here's Chris just being himself, totally being himself. And, and never, ne he had always had his, his core friends. He always had the, this ensemble that supported him, loved him, like encouraged him. And, and I struggled for friendship. I, I, I like, I, right. I'm going to do it's the so right. interesting. And, uh, and just not being myself. And, uh, um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it is. It had a definitely caused, I mean, you know, there's sibling rivalry anyway in families, especially Irish families. But yeah. I would have been resentful of, you know, why not me? Why do you get all the attention? Why, yeah. why, where are my friends? Why I'm doing everything right. And all you're doing is what, you know, having fun out there. And let's be honest, all my friends say I was the funniest anyway. So <laughs> I love I'm sure. that. I don't doubt I'm it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> You know, you know, I'll tell you an interesting thing about humor. Um, if we do, we have time. Yeah, sure. All right. So uh, when I took this job, uh, one of the first things I did, uh, they asked me to do was like, well, we do a, uh, an alumni retreat at Rosecrans, and you know, all the people who have come through our program and clinicians and a day long thing. It was still virtual, so they said, "Can you tell your story?" I said, "Sure, I'd love to." And I got on a Saturday morning, and um, listen to you know all these people sharing but all these clinicians too i was going to go last i was one of the last speakers and one of the early clinicians was talking about trauma and i'm like oh i know what trauma is you know something bad happens in your life you know like mm -hmm. it's going this way then trauma and then you take a left turn and she's like yeah kind of you know that's a big t kind of concept but uh really you know there's all these little traumas that we don't even know about and and you accumulate them as humans we become collectors of trauma and and we don't even know them until they they we can't hold them down anymore and they burst out and people are like why are you so angry and you're like i don't know you know but um uh so I'm, I, I I listen to that, and for the next four or five minutes to an hour, as other people are talking, I'm, I'm just pondering the stuff. I'm like, and it got to me, and they're like, and I go, "Time out!" Before I get into my story, I'm like, I got to go back to this trauma conversation. And I'm like, I go, "Do you know what trauma was like in the Farley family?" 
And everyone on the Zoom call was like, oh, oh my God, he's here it comes. And I'm like, no, it's not that bad. But trauma was in my family that we had one emotion that we used for everything. Can you imagine what that was? Laughter. Yeah, humor. It was our coping mechanism. So if somebody was stressed out, we laughed. If somebody in my family fell and hurt themselves, we laughed. Not to be mean or, you know, it, yeah. but we it was the cover, like but it was a cover up. Yeah. We didn't like their pain. We thought our humor could drag yeah. them mm -hmm. out of that moment. And, you know, when they're when somebody was angry, we laughed. We we still do. Um <laughs> when somebody was experiencing joy, we laughed, which isn't even the same thing. We couldn't go to the positive end of the emotional scale. It was just that 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 humor. And uh, we actually we got a, we had another uh, emotion is like when we didn't get the reaction that we wanted or expected. If somebody fell and hurt themselves and weren't laughing at our jokes because they fell and hurt themselves, um, then we would get frustrated and angry. And we would ping pong between these two, not you know developing any motion emotions in between. Not and and that's another beautiful thing about recovery is I've got to you know understand gratitude. Yeah and humility yeah. and all these it, things so. it's also it's also um generational i mean i think it's now we're we're coming into a time where things are in families are talked about more there's yeah. more talked about recovery there's more attendance of recovery one quick thing because i don't want to take up more and more of your time but um you know i read in in looking about you know your many accomplishments we could go on and on um, when you, you, after Chris passed away, you started the Chris Farley Foundation. Something I found really interesting was, and I don't know if that's going anymore or not, but at the time it was motivational speaking to kids in young, like what, how young was it? Middle high school? You know, what, I started at high school. What, I thought that was Chris's kind of, you know, you know, that's, sweet spot, but it, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, yeah. I feel like that to, to have someone come in and have a not a, just a pamphlet, a motivational speaker go into a high school to start talking to kids about this is a sign of the times. Because when we were all in high school, that oh, just yeah. wasn't it. And I was in high school in Wisconsin, too. It was not talked about. It was not, you know, you're young, you're, you know, all this isn't taken seriously. You overdo it. Nobody even blinks an eye. And um I just find that to be so interesting and crucial. I, I love that that was done um, earlier. Well, well, am, I I, am I wrong that that's rare? I mean, I don't think. Yeah. That, well, then not only that, but now, but I, as I said, I, I had no choice. I had to use humor. Yeah. And I also thought like, if I'm talking to kids, if I, you know, the kids respond to listen, yes. humor and music. I didn't have music, but I had humor. <laughs> So to be able to go and talk about these serious, this very serious subject matter, but you know, humor and and say it's okay, it really made the conversation, you know, that much more open and honest and welcoming and and um, yeah, you know, it it sometimes wake up call. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes teachers and adults, you know, no, you're supposed to hammer home the point. I'm like, no, I'm not. You got yeah. the wrong. And it, so, and it doesn't work because when I went to high school, yeah. they just told you basically, we had a lot of programs. They said, don't do drugs and don't drink. But they didn't talk about all the other things. Because uh, it was still what, behavior. Right. Yeah, you behave badly when you do that. Not, right. not to paying attention to like, yeah, why am I doing right. that? Right. Because I'm right. How am I feeling or yeah. what is causing me to do this? Or, 
continue mm-hmm. to do this or you know become excessive in my behaviors so and especially touching upon the trauma point i think you're a hundred percent right when you say people think of trauma as this big incident that happened in their lives that changes the course or the path and that's not necessarily it as humans we compartmentalize and it builds and builds and builds it's like a boiling pot of water at some point it's got to go somewhere so yeah trauma trauma is misunderstood i mean it's it's in so many forms and for someone to say well i mean i didn't have any kind of trauma is you know think again Mm -hmm. but um but you know uh, i as i said i i I go i we all do we all go through life just collecting these little traumas not knowing what they are but in recovery i flipped that around is is now i'm going through life you know i was missing all these little moments of gratitude you know that you know yeah i was collecting trauma but i also was missing just these little things that could have balanced everything out and now i'm just you know everything is you know is an opportunity to be grateful so you're amazing this has just been such a Yeah. yeah this has been such an inspiring and interesting conversation that I really do think will help so many. I mean, we have our behind our door library that people can pick and choose what to listen to. And the clicks on this will be many. And I just feel like you have the most relatable story, but with your courage, I mean, I, I'm just in admiration of you. I think you have really climbed a mountain. You know, I'm not just talking as I have all of you. Now I've, I'm actually have a job where I'm actually getting people into you know, yeah. help and treatment and recovery, getting them through that door. And that, right. that is even, you know, it, it's so gift. much more for me. Yeah. Rewarding. Can, well, before we end, can you just talk a little bit about Rosecrans and where people can find it and what yeah. you do there? You know, it's starting. What I'm, they I'm do. The, yeah. I'm the Wisconsin outreach person. So I make sure that, you know, like, you know, p- people find whether it's with us or some other place in Wisconsin, you know, you know, help that they need. But we we started in Rockford over 100 years ago um, with these two residential, you know, we're uh, we have a adolescent and an adult residential. Um, but now we've got all these outpatient clinics throughout, you know, Chicagoland, Northern Illinois, on into Iowa. We have one clinic in, in Madison. So we're finding at all levels, you know, that we can, you know, and it's, and again, it started out with, you know, addiction. Now it's, it's, you can't do it. You can't do this work without, you know, without the, the, the mental health component. So now it's, um, you know, there's some amazing programs that, um, that, uh, um, you know, you go to rosecrans.org and, kind of find them all we've got a an amazing one of my favorite things one of the reasons why that i talk about more than anything is we have a a, a um a specialized uh adult unit called the florian unit that started 17 years ago when this battalion chief from chicago fire said like we've got humans here that have seen a level of trauma that humans aren't supposed to see. And we can't put them in the general population in therapy and say, okay, share, that's not going to work. That hasn't worked. So we started this, we, and we started with fire and then uh, uniform, all uniform personnel, uh, first responders, and now veterans in this group where we're, we're dealing with some, you know, heavy PTSD, Mm -hmm. heavy trauma Mm -hmm. stuff, but in, in a, you know, it's, it, it is fantastic. And I, if there's anything I speak about it at Rosecrans, 
more than anything, it's 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 that 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 in the adolescent group. I like that too. And and how young how young is the youngest that would attend any of the Rosecrans programs? You know, um, it uh, 12, 12, 13, 14. Oh, wow. You know, know, depending on the circumstance. Yeah. Just Um, wondering if it was, you know, 18 and up, but. um, Yeah, we we can go a little, we can go, yeah, 13, 14 sometimes, you know. um, But yeah, no, then, but then that's the adolescent. Then uh, for the adults, you know, if you're 18 but still in high school, you can be with the adolescents. But then, then we have like a young adult program, and then the obviously the adults. So we oh, even in the, you know, we segregate even for further. Great. Right. Well, Tom, thank you so much. This has been just a wealth of information and super interesting, and you're just a joy. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, this was wonderful. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm very grateful for uh, everything you guys do. This is you ladies are fantastic, and I think you know, um, I think the podcast you know came around just at the right time. All these podcasts now we're starting to communicate at the time when yep. we kind of feel like we need to communicate better. Yes, we do. Technology is, technology has allowed us to to do that, which is fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. Take good care. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Take care. Bye. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at behindourdoor at mail.com. That's behindourdoor at mail.com. And please don't forget to like and share our podcast. Um, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.